From the Salvation Army, welcome to the Holiness Podcast with Lieutenant Colonel Vern Jewett. In this monthly Bible study, we'll be exploring God's gift of holiness, which is offered to every Christian. To download this month's study guide, visit us at salvationarmysoundcast.org slash holiness. This is Vern Jewett, and I welcome you today to the Holiness Podcast. We are finishing up a three-part series on Romans chapter 12. Now, our goal in this podcast is to provide a thoughtful, in-depth Bible study, which will help us as Christians understand the call to holiness, the clear scriptural call to be people set apart for God. Just to briefly recap this series, we began with Romans 12, verses 1 and 2 which represent the major turning point in this New Testament book. Paul completes the broad doctrinal teachings of chapters 1 through 11 and then begins to address practical Christian living. Verses 1 and 2 are one of the most clear and memorable statements we have calling Christians to live holy lives. We unpacked the startling call in verse 1 for Christians to be living sacrifices, holy, acceptable unto God. We saw that because of Jesus' death on the cross, God would no longer accept dead sacrifices. This would be a powerful word picture in the culture of Rome, both to the minority of Jewish Christians and the majority of Gentile Christians. Verse 2 presents the holy life to which Christians are called, in very stark terms, actually. We are to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. This transformation will enable us to discern God's will, which is good and acceptable and complete. This transformation from the inside out is the work of the Holy Spirit in us. Paul contrasts it with the warning not to be conformed to this world, making it clear that we must intentionally resist the strong influences of the world around us in forming our character. In the second lesson on Romans 12, we pursued this teaching which unfolds in the rest of the chapter. It's true, God wants to transform our character We are not to stand out in this world by our charisma or our competency or our credentials. He teaches us that the marks of Jesus should be evident in how we live, in our character. Immediately in verse 3, Paul taught us that the first transforming mark of Jesus was humility. Listen to where Paul began as he describes the set-apart life of a Christian. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. We saw that this mark of Jesus in our lives echoed the Old Testament admonition to walk humbly with our God. Of course, the flip side of Christ-like humility is pride, which is the great temptation Satan has always used to divert us away from God and back to ourselves. No wonder Paul began with humility. Today, we'll turn our attention 
to the mark of Jesus found in verse 9, which is central to Jesus' teaching and likewise to the teachings of Paul and John. Between them, those two authors most likely wrote 18 of the 27 New Testament books. Their writings are saturated with teaching that the transforming mark of Jesus in a Christian's life is agape love, a new kind of love that comes from God into our lives. I was watching television a couple of months ago when suddenly there appeared a commercial from a life insurance company about agape love. Yes, it's true. I thought I was back in my adult Sunday school class or listening to the Sunday sermon from my pastor. Perhaps you've seen this commercial as well. It begins with the statement, The ancient Greeks had four words for love. Then we saw scenes of persons visiting hospital patients, helping a senior citizen bathe, assisting children, and persons with handicaps. All the while, the teaching continues about the four words used by ancient Greeks. The word philio, which means a strong friendship. The word estorge, which means affection. The word eros, which is a strong word or desire. And then the word agape, which was presented as the most admirable of all, described as an action that takes courage, sacrifice, and strength. Now, I think it was a brilliant commercial. Obviously, one target audience was Christians, who had some awareness of agape love. It would have been compelling to persons who were not familiar with the Christian teaching because it was well done and spoke to being kind and compassionate. But I would wager that it stopped many Christians in their tracks. You see, the commercial painted the picture that the life insurance company was motivated by its compassionate love for people. That's a great public relations approach. And while agape love was the centerpiece, the true, unique, and earth-shaking meaning of agape was not presented. So today's lesson is telling the rest of the story about the most powerful force in this world and the most significant mark of Jesus in a Christian's life, agape love. Interestingly, General Shaw Clifton of the Salvation Army, in his book about love, calls agape love heaven love. Probably a very good way to talk about it. I think it might be helpful to tell a true story about agape love in action to open up our discussion. On a warm Sunday evening in Fort Myers, Florida, Following an evening church meeting, Majors Tom and Julie Loudon of the Salvation Army took their men in the resident rehabilitation program Crossroads out for pizza. Major Julie, as she often did and enjoyed doing, was the bus driver that particular evening and had just pulled back into the emergency lodge when she quickly observed that something out of the ordinary had taken place. 
An ambulance was parked at the front entrance. Once she had parked the bus, she quickly made her way into the lodge and inquired about the ambulance. The security officer briefed Major Julie on a very tragic and disturbing event that involved a young woman who had come to the Army in her most desperate time in need of help. She was informed that the young lady had come into the lodge and was clearly traumatized. She was unable to speak and barely able to walk and maintain consciousness. So the intake technician wrote on a legal pad, Do you need help? The young lady in response wrote, Yes. So the intake technician immediately called 911 and requested paramedics. The ambulance had arrived just a few moments before Major Julie. The paramedics were assessing the young lady and preparing her for transport to the hospital. Major Julie was able to acquire the young lady's name and decided to stop by the hospital on her way back to park the bus. She felt an overwhelming urge to go to this young woman and offer Jesus to her. After parking the bus at the hospital, she made her way into the reception area to ask about seeing this young lady. The hospital had admitted the young lady and invoked the Florida Mental Health Act of 1971, commonly known as the Baker Act. The Baker Act restricts any non-essential medical personnel from visiting the patient. However, the security guard said, I see that by your uniform, you are a Salvation Army officer, and therefore you are one of the most trusted people in our community. Yes, you may go back and see her. When Major Julie arrived at the young lady's room, she observed a despairing, almost lifeless person. She immediately made her way to the bedside of this young lady, held her hand, and said to her, I don't know what you've been through, but God does, and He loves you, and so do I, and I'm here to help you. Immediately, the woman began to weep. She found her voice and the strength to tell her story of abuse and despair. Major Julie wrapped her arms around her and embraced her with God's love. They both cried. The story that poured out was one of broken trust and abuse. She told of her life with a man whom she loved and thought he loved her, but instead he abused her regularly. So it was on that day she decided it was time for her to escape. She fled from her house on a bicycle without any plan, just ready to run away to somewhere, anywhere. However, after leaving her home, she was followed by a gang of four men who attacked her and abducted her into a wooded area nearby and raped her repeatedly. It was after this that she somehow made it to the Salvation Army's lodge for help. In reflection, Major Julie testifies that as she felt the urgency to go to this young woman and offer her Jesus, she also sensed God's loving and eternal arms embracing herself. She recounts that as she embraced and shared God's love with her, she also felt his arms embrace her and whisper into her heart, 
I see you and her, and I love you both, and I will wipe away every tear. Major Julie says that was God's embrace and God's love, and that was the perfect help that was needed. Friends, it's overwhelming when we come face to face with agape love in the life of a follower of Jesus as it is launched into action by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what happened in Julie's heart and was made concrete in her reaching out to this woman she did not know. Let me say that Julie would, of course, uh, be embarrassed in a way that I am using her as an example of God's agape love in action. I did prevail on her to give me permission to tell the story, and she wrote it out herself. But in addition, I've seen God shine through Julie's life in this way before. He has formed her in Christ to embody agape love. And she would give God praise for that, and we do as well. So let's observe several things about agape, which uniquely speak of God's heaven love. First, in a remarkable way, it was introduced and defined by Jesus. And then the biblical writers, especially Paul and John, emphasized Jesus' teaching on agape love. It's just fascinating. Uh, This term was little used in the classical world. In fact, it was used by Homer several centuries before Jesus. Its meaning was not precisely defined, but there is no record of it in extra-biblical literature, in any literature in the Mediterranean world, of it being used before Jesus began to use it. The lack of precision may have made it most appropriate because it was the only word capable of being filled out with new and startling content. Unlike the other three terms for love, agape love Love's not out of need, not because of the attractiveness or worth of the object loved, but because of its own nature. That describes God's kind of love. He did not love us because he needed us or because we were lovable, but because of who he is. Furthermore, unlike the other terms, agape does not necessarily carry the idea of feeling. William Barclay describes its nature. Agape has to do with the mind. It is not simply an emotion which arises unbidden in our hearts. It is a principle by which we deliberately live. Agape has supremely to do with the will. In fact, it is the power to love the unlovable, to love people whom we do not like. Finally, frankly, We are face-to-face with one of the most challenging counter-cultural truths about the Christian life. Agape love does not come naturally and, in fact, is impossible for humans to produce. It is a love which is part of the personality and makeup of God himself. And only God can place it in our lives by the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. Like grace... Agape love shatters the perception of a fair world. 
It's not based upon anything that is deserved. It's just offered freely and unconditionally. In Major Julie's words, she sensed God's loving arms embracing her. She sensed him whispering into her heart about his love for her and for the woman in the hospital bed. Why is this so important to us today? I'm sure the thought has already crossed your mind, perhaps several times as I've been speaking. Popular culture, our advertising, music, sports, literature, and so forth, uses the word love to mean just about everything except what Jesus and the Bible means by it. Paul's word of caution about being conformed to this world, about allowing the culture around us to influence us more than our transforming faith in God, may not be more of a threat anywhere than in the world's abuse of love. And here is the heart of our lesson today. There's no question. The essence of holiness is love. Listen to Martin Lloyd-Jones. If we are Christians, we are lovers of God. We delight in him. Holiness is positive. It is essentially a matter of loving. The Christian is a man who loves holiness, and he appears before God because he is holy in love. We can only conceive of holiness when we conceive of it in terms of love. The wonderful Nazarene theologian Mildred Bangs Winecoop says in her classic book, The Theology of Love, that love is the essential inner character of holiness, and holiness does not exist apart from love. That is how close they are, and in a certain sense, they can be said to be the same thing. Recently, the leader of the Worldwide Salvation Army, General Brian Peddle, met Pope Francis in Rome along with other Salvation Army leaders. The address in written letter form which the Pope gave to the general was brief, but focused on our very topic today. It was recorded in an article in the January 2020 issue of the Salvation Army periodical, The War Cry. Listen to some of the Pope's words. General Petal, dear brothers and sisters, I am happy to have the opportunity to renew to you and to all the members and volunteers of the Salvation Army my grateful appreciation for the witness you give to the primacy of discipleship and service to the poor. This makes you an evident and credible sign of evangelical love. In obedience to the Lord's commandment, love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, quoting John 13, 34. Then the Pope said, I am reminded, General, of the insight expressed by your predecessor when we met five years ago. Holiness transcends denominational boundaries. The holiness that shows itself in concrete actions of goodness and healing speaks to the heart and testifies to the authenticity of our discipleship. And then the Pope said, In a world where selfishness and divisions abound, 
the noble fragrance of genuine self-giving love can offer a much-needed antidote and open minds and hearts to the transcendent meaning of the love of God. Dear friends, I believe that this is a monumentally important Christian truth. I don't know of anything that will inform our understanding of holiness more than the truth of agape love. When God begins to reform our character and make us holy, he plants the real thing within us, a love that isn't faked, isn't based on feelings, and isn't manufactured. It's God's love infused into our lives. I want to share another illustration because stories can speak truth to us so beautifully. Then I want to close by focusing on the specific lesson about agape love that is found in our textual verse, Romans 12, 9. First, the story. Charles Colson, many of you will know his name, and Jack Eckert, who founded Eckert Drug Stores, were part of a group invited to accompany a U.S. government delegation to visit Soviet prisons. Many of you will know that prison ministry became the high point and focus of uh, Charles Colson's ministry after he was marvelously saved. He said it was an incredible experience to tour some of the world's most notorious gulags. But there was a particular women's prison about 125 miles from Moscow. All the inmates, when they got there, were wearing threadbare babushkas and ragged, long dresses. The cell blocks were freezing and full of mud. He said, we were able to talk with many inmates. To our surprise, a good number spoke English. But the whole time we were herded, by the prison officials and KGB officers, all wearing long olive drab coats with red epaulets and hats with heavy black visors. He said, when we arrived at the mess hall with its long rows of wooden tables and its dirty floor, none of the inmates looked up. They had been trained to keep their eyes down. Listen to what he says in his words. Our handlers were pointing out something to us, trying to keep our attention, but then Jack Eckert did something they hadn't planned on. Jack is a tall, lanky, irrepressible lion of a man who loves Christ and is not intimidated by anybody. He was there to see prisoners, not to hear some government-sponsored sales job. So he walked over to where inmates were ladling out the food. It was a grayish-green stew dumped over a scoop of rice. It smelled dreadful. Jack leaned down, smiled broadly, and asked the server, So, how's the food in here? Oh, no, I thought. She's going to offer us some, and we're going to have to eat it. My doctor had told me to avoid foods of unknown origins on this trip. Now, this is Chuck Colson speaking. And this prison gruel was definitely unknown. The chunks sticking out of it looked like no animal I was acquainted with. The next thing I knew, my fears came true. 
the woman heaped a huge serving onto a plate for Jack and then smiled and ladled an even bigger portion for me. I did the only thing any of us would have done in those circumstances. I thanked her. Then Jack and I walked over to one of the wooden tables and joined the inmates there. The government officials all stood back, stunned. None of them ever touched the food. Jack and I bowed our heads and prayed. You can be sure that was the most fervent grace I've ever uttered in my life, as I asked God to sanctify that food and save me from any microbes lurking in it. The moment we started to eat, the atmosphere in that dismal prison dining hall was transformed. Inmates got up from other tables and joined us. People laughed and spoke with us. Some of the women showed us the crosses that they wore around their necks. Even the ones who did not speak English knew that because we were eating their food, breaking bread with them, we were one with them. Now, there's a wonderful aspect of the truth of agape love that we need to glean from Romans 12.9. The simple phrase is, in fact, the centerpiece of the whole chapter. Everything before it is leading up to it. Everything after it is an explanation of its meaning. It's only four words in English, but it stands like a sentinel as the premier truth of this chapter. It reads... Love must be sincere. For the first time in Romans, Paul uses agape love to speak of how Christians should live. He has mentioned it four times before, twice in Romans 5 and twice in Romans 8, but always of God's love. But the word he uses here expands the meaning and opens a great truth to us. The literal translation of the word sincere is unhypocritical, without hypocrisy. Stuart Briscoe says the word means genuine, no pretense. I've seen it translated, I think in the message, as no phony love. Well, first, we have the advantage of our previous study on the word back in Romans 12.1. The word translated, be not conformed. You may remember that the root meaning of that word is to disguise or masquerade or counterfeit. I believe Paul is connecting agape love here with the world's influence, which can overcome a Christian and make his or her life a counterfeit, phony, not genuine life. We encounter phoniness all around us on a daily basis. Yesterday, March 4th, 2020, a lady was mentioned on Good Morning America. She had watered and taken care of her favorite plant for two years with great success. So she decided to transplant it and bought a new vase to be its permanent home. As she dug out the roots, she discovered the plant wasn't real. She had watered and given plant food to a phony plant for two years. Okay, I'll confess with a story of my own. 
A couple of months ago, I was riding in the car with my son-in-law, Jeff. I received a telephone call that came over the car speakers. It was a telemarketer trying to convince me to change my auto insurance. Yeah, I have to be honest. Since Jeff was there, I was especially nice. I answered his questions, and he always had an appropriate response. Finally, I got a little agitated with the man on the other end of the phone and made a comment to him about not being interested at all. At that point, Jeff said to me quietly, Dad, he's not real. That's not a real person. It's a robocall. Okay, I'm embarrassed now. I was agitated by a non-real person's responses to me on a phony call. Reverend Stan Key, in his wonderful devotional book, Face to Face, says this, By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another, John 13, 35. Just as a zebra is known for its stripes, a follower of Christ will be recognized by how she loves. I may wear a cross around my neck, have a fish on my car, and attend church every Sunday, but if my life is not characterized by agape love, I am a hypocrite. On this point, the Bible simply could not be more clear. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Now, Paul knows that the Roman Christians will understand the importance of agape love. He had written 1 Corinthians years earlier. And that wonderful chapter, chapter 13, the love chapter, had surely been circulated with the letter to the Roman Christians. Furthermore, Jesus' teaching on agape love, which was passed on verbally and orally, was truly revolutionary. You may remember in the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus said, You've heard it said before, Love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But I say unto you, Love your enemies. Now he's using that word agape, which he has transformed into a new dynamic meaning of the love of God being shed abroad in our hearts. The difficult thing was no one else had ever said before, love your enemies. It's not found in the entire Old Testament. God had never said it to the people of Israel. It's not found in any of the religions such a teaching in the Mediterranean world at the time Jesus took this word and filled it powerfully with divine meaning. Love your enemies. In our passage in Romans 12, which goes from verse 9 to verse 21, the last four verses expound on that remarkable singular truth. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. 
If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Jesus reinterpreted our attitude toward enemies. Actually, a Christian shouldn't have any enemies because there's no enmity in our hearts. It is important to understand that love is a supernatural quality. God alone can awaken in us this kind of love. God alone can lead us to make a choice to love somebody who does not appeal to us, who does not awaken anything within us. Yet that is what God's love is. That is what is so desperately needed in the world and so beautifully described in Romans 9. It can only come as we love God with a love awakened within us by the Holy Spirit. I love the story by uh, Henry Blackaby. He said, One day I was driving to the airport with my daughter, who at that time was five years old. We looked up and saw two men floating down to earth in parachutes. My daughter asked me where they came from. So we looked more closely and spotted a small plane flying overhead. I began to explain that the plane took the two men into the air and then they jumped out. Then in a way only a five-year-old could ask, she said, Dad, did they want to get out? She knew there was safety in the plane, and to step outside also meant stepping outside of its safety. Is agape love safe? The answer is yes and no. When God begins to reform our character and make us holy, he plants the real thing within us. A love that isn't faked, isn't based on feelings, and isn't manufactured. It's the kind of love we saw in Major Julie and Charles Colson and Jack Eckert. It is God's love infused into our lives. It's been great to spend these moments with you. Remember, holiness is God's gift to you. We'll see you next time. Thanks so much for listening, and we'd love to hear from you. Share your thoughts, questions, or prayer requests. Visit us at SalvationArmySoundcast.org slash holiness. And if you're enjoying this Bible study, share it with a friend. They can subscribe wherever they get their podcasts. Thank you.